Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers, Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello, and as always, we are joined by producer Annabelle Lee. Hi. Hi. Hello, Annabelle Lee. Coming up on today's show, the Queen's death sparks just about a million headlines. Giselle Bunchen's marriage is on the rocks. We finally have the answers to a curious mid-naughty scandal involving Brad Pitt, Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie, are Gigi Hadid and Leonardo DiCaprio dating, and the very imprecise science behind standing ovations at Venice. What do they mean and why? But first of all, Zara McDonald, how was your week? Hello, hello. I had a pretty good week, guys. I mean, it's <laughs> She has nothing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Sunny, Sunny, I do have something to talk about. We actually do have something to talk about. We need to talk. Oh, we do. We need to talk about mayo. Because I think <laughs> in last week's episode, I think it was you. I think you said it a few more times than I did. We both, I love that you're trying to throw me <laughs> under the bus. We both said mayo. I, I definitely said it. I might have said it less. <laughs> and we were overwhelmed. Inundated. Like, I was like completely floored by how many people messaged us saying, what does that mean? Why did you keep saying it? And I realised... A lot of people, I think, thought we were trolling them because we've done that before. Yeah. People were messaging us saying, ha guys, I'm on to you. What's the inside joke behind Mayo? And we were all kind of looking around the office being like, what? First of all, we didn't realise we said Mayo really at all in yes. last week's episode. We also say it all the time in the office and to each other colloquially that for someone to point out that we had never said it on the show apparently before really took us by surprise because I feel like I say mayo maybe once a day. Yeah, I also was surprised about that. So if people don't actually know what it means, we probably should define it. I didn't realise it was slang that was just used in Melbourne because when we polled people, mm. overwhelmingly only people that lived in Melbourne knew what it meant. And it basically just means to put mayo on something is to, to exaggerate. To put mayonnaise on the sandwich, you're adding a little something something yeah. that – is dramatic. Like yeah. if you are, I am prone to putting mayo on stories. Yeah, you add your own little flair. I add my own flair and I'm known for being a touch dramatic. So if you <laughs> tend to do that, you also put mayo on things. And that's why sometimes on the show, apparently starting from last week, when we're being a little dramatic, we'll say, have I added mayo? I'm not sure. I just had no idea that there was just, <laughs> this was just like a Melbourne-centric slang word. I thought this was like global. No, nah, I, I didn't think it was global, but I definitely thought it was national. Well, it feels quintessentially Australian to be like, oh, you're it's chucking some mayo on Pretty that. bogan. It's very bogan. All of my family called me Michelle Mayo Andrews yes. for like a couple of years because I just tend to exaggerate. Yes, I was so interested. So if you didn't know what that meant, it wasn't an inside joke. We weren't trying to have you on, though it's getting close to the end of the year, so we might soon. <laughs> and that's just what the word means. Yeah, there you go. Do you have a recommendation for the week? I do. I have a newsletter recommendation, Mish, that I love so much I forwarded to you straight away. It was from Joe Alvin's newsletter. I actually don't know what her newsletter is called now that I'm sitting here and talking, but Joe Alvin is the former editor of Glamour magazine over in the UK. She was actually from Australia initially. Is and she went, Australian? Oh, yeah, but her British accent's pretty thick these days because okay. she spent a great deal of her career in the UK in mags. Her newsletter now that I've got it up is called My Goodness. Now she had a column that she wrote last week called That Time Kanye Apologised to Me. And I thought it was a beautifully timed article or newsletter because a lot of conversations were going on in the public domain about Kanye West's social media activity. And she wrote this article 
about her most surreal celebrity encounter. And she basically tells the story, and I don't want to spoil the whole thing because it's a really great piece, but she basically tells the story about how she was hosting the Glamour Woman of the Year Awards in London. Kanye was her guest of honour. He was winning the award, Man of the Year. Maybe it was th- Man of the Year. It was Man or Celebrity of the Year something, or something like that. And just hours before the awards, he pulled out. And she was... Because of an ankle injury. (laughs) Devastated. Absolutely devastated. And the twist in the story is how he overwhelmingly made up for that misstep. And she was absolutely blown away by how much effort he went to in knowing what he'd done for her night. And the whole story basically is about how, yes, you hear these stories, particularly James Corden has a bit of a side role in this piece. And she says there's a lot of bad stuff around about James Corden, but I will always remember how kind he was to me that night. And I thought it was just a good piece, both celebrity, sugar, and also that notion that no one's all good or all bad. No. And I loved that she wrote this piece about Kanye in a time where people were consumed by other stuff because it's like there are these stories too that are really important to tell. Yeah, absolutely. That newsletter, by the way, you put me onto it. Yes. And it is just banger. I don't know. Every time I read it, I'm like, good points raised. It's not like anything Joe Elvin is saying is particularly brand new, but she just has a way of writing things that really simplifies it down and doesn't flatten people either. Well, it's very editor's letter-like. I think she writes a lot of her pieces as they would have been editor's letters back in the day. And she basically rehashes her whole career Mm -hmm. through this newsletter. So it's easy content for her and it's interesting for the rest of us. So we'll put a link to that in our show notes. What about you? How was your week? Well... I've given you the golden nugget. You've given me, you've given me the runway, and I'm going to take it now. It was someone's birthday oh, no. last week, and it is a tradition on Shameless that we surprise each other with a birthday message from someone that we admire. Now, Annabelle Lee, you I turn, admire so many people. I, we know you. You actually weren't hard for this because we had a, a, a list of people. We will tell you off, Mike, who g- gently rejected us. <laughs> no, it was Tom Holland, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> now, I want you to actually guess. Oh. Who do you think? Because I, I think we've gotten it right. You mm. love this person. You've told us before. Oh. But I would hope they're in your top three oh. if we got you to guess. Who you love in the Australian landscape? We know Melissa Leong. Yeah, so it yeah. can't be her. Exactly. Can't and we've done her. Melissa's shout-outs before. Yeah. And I'm thinking... Aussie people that I love. I can only think of Sam Pang. Did yes. he reject us? Um, not, uh, no comment. <laughs> and he didn't reject us. It didn't get to him. It didn't. It, we should put on the record that a post didn't get to him. Can you think of someone in the same industry as Sam Pang? Maybe in Chrissy Swan? In- oh, no. Oh, God. In the comedy space? Silly Pakula? No. Oh, no. Melanie Bracewell? No. <laughs> you love this person. We always... You Annabelle, love, wait. you want to introduce an entire segment to Shameless just to talk about the Yes! (laughs) Here is your birthday message from your fifth favourite celebrity, Aaron Chen. Happy birthday, Annabelle. I hope you have the best day in the world. I hope you have a lot of crazy time. Thank you for 25 years of life and um, Shameless Corporation. I'd love to thank you so much for all your support. Um... 
See you later. <laughs> He's so funny. He is very funny. I'm sorry for picking you fifth. <laughs> I was like, what? No, Aaron Chen will be fine because I think we might have a Netflix special to plug in the next few months <laughs> for him. Yeah, and if Aaron Chen's listening, you talk about him all the time. You love, so you love we love how he proposed to his partner, remember? Yes, Esther, his partner Esther. See, you know the partner's name. <laughs> See, you are a big fan. Thank you to Aaron Chen. A plug will be coming for Aaron Chen's upcoming special, which we are delighted to do because we're all big fans. Yeah, we are. Now that is done and what a beautiful way to start the show. Do you have a recommendation for us? I absolutely do. I really want to recommend. Have you guys heard of the 1% Club? No, No. not at all. Okay. So I am being self-aware. This might be a recommendation that people are just flat out not interested in, but it has taken the Andrews family by storm. Okay. So you're passionate about it. I'm passionate. and I may know about it. I may know about it. And I've had a bloody good weekend watching it. So the 1% Club is a British a game, game show. show. It's hosted by Lee Mack. Do either of you know who Lee Mack is? No. I, I think so. I'm just Googling. as Yeah, he's from that show that I like. He's from Would I Lie to You? Yes. Okay. Now, That's as we all know, <laughs> knowing me is knowing that I love British television. I just think the Brits do it better than anyone in the world. Brits do the funnies better than anyone. They do funny reality TV, game show TV the best yeah. in the whole world. And Lee Mack, dare I say, isn't just in my past basket. He might be my whole past. Oh, very. There, there <laughs> I she just, goes. I just adore Lee Mack. Anyway. I'm not one to judge a whole past, but, <laughs> but I'm judging. Oh, I just Googled him. <laughs> he looks friendly. He's happy and funny and he'd look after you. <laughs> you know what my mum would say? She'd look at him and go... He has a kind face. Yeah, he does have a kind he face. He has a kind face. He's the funniest man maybe I've ever come across in my life. Which also, might explain why he's when like I past. Google him, all the articles about his wife, Tara. Oh, so. okay. Well, hello, Tara. I promise it won't actually happen. Yes, it won't. Anyway, he's amazing on Would I Lie to You? And he is the host of The 1% Club. And The 1% Club is a game show where 100 people sit in the studio with Lee Mack and you have a series of questions and they are all testing, I wouldn't say IQ, but maybe logic and reason. And as the questions go, they get harder and harder. The first question is a question that 90% of the audience should be getting right. And then as it goes, it gets harder and harder until you get to the question that less than 1% of the audience should be able to correctly answer. So it's kind of like an IQ test, but not really. Like a lot of it's like riddles and tricks and stuff. And it is the most fun show to watch with your family or watch with your partner or watch with a group of friends over a glass of wine. I watched one episode and I was doubtful. I'm looking at your facial expression. In the statement, it is the most fun show to watch with your friends and family with a glass of wine. Annabelle's staring at me. No, I have heard of this show. My sister and my brother-in-law love this show. See, Zara was trying to gang up on me with you and then you just... No, no, because Annabelle, as you were speaking, was nodding the whole time as if like, oh, I actually know what you're talking about. Annabelle. It is so much fun. I watched it with family members. On one episode, I was getting very cocky because I made it right to the end, got the final question wrong. On the next episode I watched, I bombed out at like the 80% mark. Oh, so beautiful stuff. Keeps you humble, but keeps the ego inflated too. It keeps you so humble. It's just fun to watch. However, you can only find it on YouTube in Australia. I don't know how this loophole has happened. Every full episode in like HG is up on YouTube for you to watch. Yeah, interesting. Go watch it on YouTube, stream it on your TV, watch it with your parents. It is like 
It's just great. I just really fucking love it. I will watch it. I promise you that. I think it sounds quite good. I don't mind a, a British game show. I also don't mind a televised IQ test. I don't know. There's something funny about yeah, it. Yeah, just little brain games. <laughs> now we need to jump into the first segment of the show because there is so much to cover this week. So much to cover. We are, of course, starting with the fact that Queen Elizabeth II died this week. Yeah, on the 8th of September at 6.30pm British time, the royal family announced that the Queen had died earlier that afternoon. It marked the end of the reign of the longest-serving British monarch in history. She had been Queen for 70 years, as we know very well on this show. We spoke about the platinum. Do we know that? (laughs) Platinum. Jubilee. Jubilee. The Platinum Jubilee slash Jubilee earlier this year. She was 96 years old. Yeah, as they say, quite a stint, quite an innings. Now, there has naturally been a lot of talk this week about what that actually means politically, of course, about colonisation, about whether it's time for a republic, about what the purpose of a monarchy is in 2022. As a celebrity and pop culture podcast, We have sifted through the headlines for you because, boy, there was a lot going on this week. And we are focusing on the celebrity and pop culture angles because, good Lord, there was a lot. And rightly or wrongly, Twitter got its meme on this week. Twitter Twitter was utterly unhinged this week. Like, some of the stuff coming out on Twitter made me feel evil for laughing at it. But it was, was, dare I say, the best day Twitter's ever had. Someone (laughs) tweeted that. They said, this has been the greatest day I've ever been on Twitter. Well done, everyone. Let's go again tomorrow. And I was like, it's like a game. What the hell? I saw another tweet being like, if you're keeping anyone in your thoughts and prayers today, Keep in mind the people who didn't come up with a viral meme. Because yes. I feel like everyone came up with a viral <laughs> yeah, meme. It was everyone's Olympic. <laughs> anyway, let's talk about what was going on, Mish, because I don't even know where to start. I think the place I want to start is with the photos that came out of the quote-unquote Fab Four, mm. Will, Kate, Megan and Harry, who met well wishes. I mean, Megan and Harry, have we've had enough stories about them on this show. We know what the drama has been there. Were you surprised by the fact that they decided to kind of reacquaint themselves with each other and re-emerge as a foursome? Yeah, I think I was surprised to see the four of them walking down the road together. I was surprised to see them do that together. I thought maybe they would have done it as individual couples, but it very much was a united front. That said, there were a whole lot of body language experts, and I'm putting that in inverted commas, trying to... I don't know, analyse how Kate's body language and her physical separation from the other three marked some kind of rift still between yes. her and Megan or is her marriage with William on the rocks, because, yada, yada, yada. What, because he didn't open the door for her and put her in the car? Did you yes. see that yeah. one? Yeah, there was a lot going on. People lost their minds over that because for those who haven't seen it, there was footage of Harry going out of his way to walk around the car to do the very chivalrous thing of opening the car door for his wife, Megan. Whereas William was just like, you're good. You know how to open the car door. I'll see you inside the car. Just pull on that handle out now. (laughs) Jump on in. Were you guys surprised by that commentary? Because I looked at that and truthfully, I appreciate chivalry and chivalrousness or whatever it's called. Good on Prince Harry for doing that for his wife. It doesn't mean anything for William to not do that for Kate. No, not at all. I wasn't phased by that at all. I did have a good laugh at the the body language experts who came out in droves after these photos were released. I think for me, I am with you. I was surprised to see just the four of them. I thought if they were all going to come out together, what they do is they'd have like a big family moment. So they were together, but the focus wasn't on the four of them. Yes. They deliberately made the focus the four of them. And to be honest, credit to them. Mm. They clearly thought that they needed to show face together and they clearly thought they needed to put this rift 
as much publicly behind them. I imagine privately it's not behind them at all. The other thing that I find really interesting is just days before the Queen died, the Crown had confirmed that season five would be airing in November. We're talking about the Netflix show, not yes. the Crown, the actual Crown. No. We're talking about the Netflix production. The wonderful Netflix production <laughs> that we love. Now, this new season of The Crown will be pretty catastrophic for the new king and his queen consort, right? Because this basically details the downfall of the marriage between Charles and Diana, and we, of course, know why that marriage fell apart. It's pretty spectacularly bad timing. It couldn't get worse. For so, them, great for us. <laughs> do, you, do you think they will move it? Oh, there has been a lot of chatter that Netflix will push it back out of respect for the Queen. They paused filming. Uh, in my head, though, I'm kind of like, is there any good time? And, like, why is the Crown, Netflix is the Crown, interested in being in the pocket of the royal family? Isn't the whole idea that they are giving an unbiased view of the royal family? I don't know why they would particularly feel the need to appease the royal family. It's not going out for another two months. What's going to change between two months and four months? Yeah, I totally agree with you. The only thing I can think is they're not as fussed about a appeasing the royal family as they are appeasing an audience who actually are monarchists. That's such an interesting point. Yeah, I didn't think of that. Because I do think a lot of people, there's like a lot of conversations about respect this week Mm. about what it means to respect the monarchy. And I do think a lot of monarchists would watch The Crown and I do think a lot of them would think, oh my God, this is so disrespectful. That said, are you really just turning it off or not watching because (laughs) it's airing at a time that you deem disrespectful? You don't want to fall behind. Yeah, and also I wonder how many fans of The Crown are monarchists. Like it doesn't always paint a very flattering picture of the royal – in fact, it paints a very unflattering picture of the royal family – so I still be, think heaps. It'd be really interesting yeah. for me to know how many people who watch The Crown love the royals or how many people watch because they're interested, like we are, but find the royals problematic. Well, we will poll our listeners tomorrow on Your Safe Friday to get a sense of what our audience feel about it. I have mm. a sense of where they're going to answer, but let's see. <laughs> and then the, the other thing that we really need to talk about this week, the story that was also everywhere that I certainly did not see coming was a story about the Queen and Trisha Paytas, the YouTuber. <laughs> now, <laughs> if you guys are confused, we will break this down for you. It's kind of funny that this headline about Trisha Paytas came along at a time when we are doing the YouTuber scandal series. Yes. Because Trisha Paytas is one of the most controversial and prolific names on YouTube. For the unacquainted, she is a very confusing personality, to be honest. She's a bit of a shock jock. She's a self-professed troll. She's known for saying intentionally outlandish and ridiculous things for attention. Her videos have been viewed over a billion times on YouTube. Now, it just so happens that Trisha Paytas, who we should note uses she, her, and they, them pronouns, is pregnant right now. She's heavily pregnant Mere days away from giving birth. Yes. Now, you're probably wondering, wait, why are we talking about this in the context of the Queen? Well, (laughs) just you wait. Because when Trisha announced she was pregnant back in February, there was a Twitter trend joking about who will die in the next nine months to be reincarnated as Trisha (laughs) Paytas' baby. One celebrity slash public figure who was announced quite a lot was the Queen because... The Queen is, of course, in her 90s and it's not out of the realm of possibility that this was going to happen. So as it was announced that the Queen was ill, as our listeners will know, the world kind of got news that the Queen was ill a few hours before we got news that she had died and her family were rushing to her side 
Trisha Paytas tweeted that she was one centimetre dilated. And so the most bizarre joke of 2022 exploded. The Queen was dying and she was about to re-enter the world as Trisha Paytas's baby. Now, I need to put on the record, some people might find this disrespectful. Some people might. I have to be honest... It's funny. <laughs> I have to just be honest. I, I can't find another way to not be honest. And you know what? The Queen seemed to have a pretty decent sense of humour sometimes, so maybe she'd be all about this. I said to you, if I died and people joked about this with me, go for your life. Have, have, have a giggle. Go for it. I don't believe in reincarnation, so I'm not worried. You're one of those people who's like, we're yellow to my funeral, yeah. guys. I want it to be a celebration. No tears, just colour. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's how the most bizarre joke was born. Yeah, and this wasn't some niche no, it was not of the internet joke either. This was one of the most popular jokes on the internet we've seen. This tweet, for instance, you're laughing. Queen Elizabeth is about to be reincarnated as Trisha Paytas's baby and you're laughing. <laughs> Got over 630,000 <laughs> likes. What? Now, another tweet read, one might say Trisha Paytas's baby is crowning. Uh. <laughs> now, this became a joke that was covered in BuzzFeed. TMZ ran the headline, Trisha Paytas says she hasn't given birth to reincarnation of Queen Elizabeth. This was everywhere. The commentary got so loud that Trisha had to respond to it all via a TikTok video, which has since been viewed by nearly 20 million people. This is every how this became the celebrity story of the week. The story. I have no idea. I also love that in the response video, Trisha very earnestly felt the need to clear up that she wasn't giving birth to the reincarnated queen as if anyone actually thought that was the case. I think what's also really interesting in a convo we were having at our desks yesterday, Mitch, we got a comment last week during Your Say Friday and someone messaged us and said, why are you guys still talking about Twitter as if it's relevant at all in 2022? And I looked at that and I thought it was incredibly interesting because I was like, I would say that Twitter is re-cementing itself as one of the most relevant social media apps of 2022. Mm. And I didn't necessarily see it coming. And I think what people are forgetting is a lot of the jokes they hear, the inside jokes, the trends, they're starting on Twitter almost as much as they're starting on TikTok. Yeah. You might read them on other social media apps, but it's starting on Twitter. And I think we were talking, Mish, in the office yesterday being like, what is it? Is Twitter just having a comeback? And then we thought about it and we were like, well, the last couple of years on Twitter has been quite dark. We've had a pandemic. People have been really struggling and that's come out on Twitter. But now there's been a re-emergence of fun in the news cycle. Mm. And I've got to say in this job, it's felt very much like the last month there has been a re-emergence of fun and it's made me like my job more than ever. Oh my God, we're having the best time. <laughs> I, I knew it was hard. I knew that the news cycle was hard for the last couple of years. Yeah. I knew this job was harder than it was when it started. But the reemergence of fun has been such a joy. And we're seeing that on Twitter. And Twitter is, yes, a cesspit a lot of the time, but it also can be incredibly fun. And it is as relevant as ever now. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure during the pandemic, I was either saying to you or saying it on microphone or maybe both that, oh, I don't go on Twitter. I can't deal yes. with the level of animosity and it's just so acrimonious all the time and people are grumpy all the time and I just like completely avoided Twitter. I love Twitter now. It's really had this reframing as a comedy platform and I know it was that in the past. Of course, two things can be true at once. It is political but it's also very comedic. That comedy element has come back because life as we knew it before the pandemic is coming back and it's just a beautiful place to be. People are fucking hilarious on Twitter. Yeah, they're still fucked. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Mate, we're, we're 
you're on the internet. Stuff is still there. <laughs> you're still on the internet. But I think I agree with you. I think it was the "Don't Worry, Darling" story of the last few weeks mm. that made me realize it's been a long time since we've had a story like this that the whole world's been talking about that has seemed relatively harmless. I know mm. that there were people who will want to say there's harm somewhere, but it's relatively harmless and that people can universally have a joke about. We have not had that in a long time. And I think that's what we're seeing on Twitter. So yes, to whoever wrote that to us, no shade. But yes, I think Twitter is as relevant as it's ever been. Coming up after the break, Giselle Bunchen's marriage is on the rocks. We finally have answers to a curious mid noughties headline. And are Gigi Hadid and Leonardo DiCaprio dating? But first, a word from today's sponsor. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Or eight stories this or week. eight stories. Did I say top five? <laughs> yeah, truthfully, we just have done a bumper, bumper quick and dirty to round out this episode, round out this episode about 20 minutes in. <laughs> because there was so much to cover this week, we refused to give some stories up. Yeah, look. The quick and dirty for like four years was always five stories. And then the celebrities just got busy in 2022. And now it's anywhere between five and 15. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Now, Michelle, Lee McAndrews. I'd love Do to you want to kick us off? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> My first story. Giselle Bunchen tweets support for husband Tom Brady but skips his first game amid rough patch. That is from People magazine. There is trouble in paradise in the marriage between Giselle Bunchen and Tom Brady, Zara McDonald. Yeah, as the tabloids would say. So the NFL star and the supermodel have two kids together, right? Tom Brady also has a kid from a former relationship and rumours around their marriage woes all began sort of in the last week or two, but particularly kicked off with a page six report last week that said that Giselle had left the family home and flown to Costa Rica after having a bunch of arguments with Tom Brady over his shock decision to unretire from the NFL. <laughs> now, according to reports, she's furious. He's back playing. They had a bunch of arguments. She got on a plane, flew to Costa Rica. He's at home with the kids. Yes. When you learn the details of this unretirement, you definitely end up being on Giselle Bunchen's <laughs> side. Let me say that. Now, for the uninitiated, Tom Brady is 45 years old. 45? 45. He's widely regarded as being one of the best NFL players of all time. He... Retired from the sport in Feb this year. In March, he unretired. 40 days between retirement <laughs> and unretirement. And he's 45. I know we've said that already. <laughs> I don't know many elite athletes playing such a physical sport mm. like this one whose body is held up. Yeah, no, neither. It sounds really bizarre that a 45-year-old is playing professional NFL. now. So credit to him for that. Credit for his body to hold up. With an asterisk <laughs> yeah. because I'm also deeply annoyed oh, by Oh, yeah, just you wait. Now, a source spoke to Page Six and said Tom and Giselle are in a fight right now. They had agreed he would retire to focus on the family. Then he changed his mind. Yeah. So in March, when Tom Brady actually wrote about his unretirement, about his backflip, he wrote on Instagram, these past two months, I've realized my place is still on the field and not in the stands. That time will come, but it's not now. I love my teammates and I love my supportive family. They all make it possible. 
Now, this is not the first headline that's come out about their relationship in the last couple of weeks because last month, Tom Brady made headlines after he missed like 11 days of a training camp, citing personal reasons. Now, when quizzed about his disappearance at a press conference, his quotes were really interesting. He said, it's all personal. Everyone's got different situations they're dealing with. We all have unique challenges to our life. I'm 45 years old, man. There's a lot of shit going on. Now, in a, I don't know. Like, you, I, I'm 45 years old, man. It's like, well, you're not that old. I know I'm talking about you being old in the context of sport, but you're not that old. Now, according to News.com, who cited NFL Network sources, Tom Brady spent most of that 11-day break at a private resort in the Bahamas with his family. So it was mm. something to do with his family and needing to be with them. Yeah. Now, just to spice up the story, the headlines go back even further than that press conference because in May, Giselle hinted to British Vogue that all was not necessarily well. She told British Vogue, I don't think relationships just happen. It's never the fairy tale people want to believe it is. It takes work to be really in sync with someone, especially after you have kids. His focus is on his career. Mine is mostly on the kids. Yeah, to make matters a little worse, in 2020, during an appearance on the Howard Stern Show, Tom Brady admitted this. A couple of years ago, Giselle didn't feel like I was doing my part for the family. She felt like I would play football all season and she would take care of the house. She wasn't satisfied with our marriage, so I needed to make a change in that. Her point was, well, yeah, of course this works for you. It all works for you, but it doesn't work for me. Saying that in 2020 is quite ballsy given 2022 you decide to retire, which I, I imagine you would make that decision with your partner, a healthy relationship, you're making that decision together Mm. and then unretire. I actually think she or her camp might be the ones leaking the stories about her unhappiness. You would be fucking furious. I reckon it's her. And she did not go to the first game of the season, which she has been known to do. She did tweet after all these headlines came out saying, let's go Tom Brady, let's go Bucks. (laughs) Is it Bucks or Bukes? Oh, fuck no. (laughs) Do you know We don't know. We do know definitely that something's wrong in the marriage and, like, this is definitely beyond smoky gossip. It is, like, basically fact at this point that something's deeply wrong. You would be furious. I'm sorry. It's so selfish and it so fits the bill of, like, a male professional athlete who's gone in his way his entire life, his career and his achievements have always been the centre of everything. He finally, at 40 fucking five, decides – I'm done. I'm going to walk away. It's time to focus on maybe my family because my Other wife. People. <laughs> yeah. It's time to give someone else in my family the time to focus on their career. Maybe it's my time just to step back from the driver's seat, whatever. It's just so typical that he's done this. There's something about this story where I just feel really pissed off on Giselle Bunchen's behalf. It's also quite illuminating as well that he spent 40 days trying to focus on other people. <laughs> <laughs> nope, he was like, working. oh God, got to be back to the centre. <laughs> got to be back to the centre. Our second story. OMG, we finally know who tipped off Paps about Brangelina's infamous 2005 beach affair pics. That is from Pedestrian. Yeah, now listeners of Scandal will remember that back in January 2005, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston announced that they were splitting after seven years together. This was big news. They were obviously married. They had to go through the whole divorce process. And that scandal, I'm guessing a lot of you have listened to, it's one of our most listened to of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, 
Our listeners also might remember that by April of that year, Brad Pitt was papped in Kenya with Angelina Jolie, playing on the beach with her then three-year-old son, Maddox. Now, funnily enough, even after the images of these two on the beach together playing with Maddox emerged, both of the, the actors' reps denied that they were in a relationship. Mm. So, But everyone was like, we can see the pictures. We know what's going on. Now, the photos were pretty famous because there'd been so many whispers that Angelina was the reason behind Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt splitting. And I think this was the first time that people had confirmation. And I think it was the first time that she was properly villainized for being the one behind that split, right? Yeah, because remember we had those grainy onset photos yes. of Angelina and Brad in between takes looking cozy looking far more than friends yes let's put it that way and they at the time were like oh we're just in character maybe we're method actors between takes we simply must hold hands we (laughs) simply must hold hands and look like boyfriend and girlfriend between takes but the beach photos were like well you're not on set you're nowhere near a camera and you're clearly frolicking on the beach together so you must be together anyway Rolling Stone magazine co-founder Jan Wenner has just released his memoir this week and he's been telling some pretty juicy stories about the celebrities he's met throughout his career. Now, in addition to Rolling Stone, Jan Wenner actually owned Us Weekly for a time and Us Weekly reported a lot on the Angelina and Brad affair. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in the book, he wrote how in 2005, a photographer that Us Weekly worked with a lot received a tip that Angelina was staying at a resort on the coast of Africa with Brad Pitt. The photographer was told not only where the pair were staying, but also given details about the time of their daily walk, along with a suggestion of where they could be secretly photographed. In his book, he wrote, We got the photo, we got the proof, we had the worldwide scoop, the debut of Brangelina. The tipster was Angelina. So Angelina... Leaked that. I When we did that scandal series and we were like, how did Paps get these photos? Like, what was behind this? I did not think it would be Angelina Jolie tipping off the paparazzi it's, at all. Well, I thought it would be someone at the hotel or like someone in their camp who was pocketing cash from it. Why would Angelina Jolie do that? Yeah, I know. Well, it's so funny as you say that because now I've heard the story. I'm like, yeah, I feel like I had a feeling. But I obviously didn't. Like, it's just once you know how something came to be, you're like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah." I was onto that the whole (laughs) time. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, how bizarre. And it is is strange. I, I do have to be honest. I think if this has been a really high profile split that one party from the former relationship in Jennifer Aniston was clearly heartbroken, publicly heartbroken. It is interesting to me that you would want to center yourself and your new relationship in that. Especially knowing that you met her husband while she was married to him. I like, do it's, think it lacks awful. a tiny bit of empathy, yes. Tiny? Quite a lot. <laughs> it's so bad. Sorry, I really, I know that Angelina has some great sides to her personality. As we said at the start of the episode, celebrities are layered, they're human just yes, like us. They've but all this, got flaws. The story's really bad. It's really yuck. If you are involved in a marriage breakdown, if you are the woman that someone leaves their wife for, why do you want to rub that in their face in the yeah. most public, on the cover of fucking Us Weekly? Because... You mentioned publicity and branding is everything in this world. Is it bragging? 
Is uh, it bragging to say I got him? It's got something to do with how she wanted to position her brand at this time, for sure. Whatever way you want to look at it. I don't like it. Our third story, model Natalie Rosa reveals why her new husband is living in Thailand. That is from the Daily Telegraph. Guys, Aussie model and influencer Natalie Rosa, who has 1.4 million followers on Instagram, has spoken to the Daily Telly this week about her unconventional first year of marriage with her long-term partner and former Neighbours and Home and Away star, Harley Bonner. Just a quick aside, don't you think it's funny to say former neighbours and home and away because it's kind of like pick a side? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that he did both. Yes, he did both. But anyway, that's a by the by. Harley Bonner only left home and away earlier this year, actually, with some reports saying that his exit coincided with home and away's vaccine mandate coming into effect. We know Sam Frost left at around the same time. Now, Harley Bonner and Nat Rosa were engaged last November. They married this February and are, as you just mentioned, Bish, currently living apart. So Harley is living in Thailand at the moment to study energy healing and meditation while Nat has stayed in Newcastle. She told the Daily Telly, it's a whole other world I don't understand, that world of the stuff he's studying. He is so happy. It's definitely an unconventional first year of marriage. He's fulfilling his dreams and who would I be to stand in his way of doing something that he has wanted to do for so long? Yeah, Nat said that she has been busy renovating their home back in Australia. She also said that she doesn't want to visit her husband because he's in the thick of this kind of educative process. She said, I could go and visit him, but I am giving him his time. He has a lot to learn in a short period of time. So I would be a bit of a distraction. So we are letting him finish his thing and then I will get the house ready. We are living our own lives and it works. This is just year one. And I would rather him do this than when we have children, because I just don't think that is as likely. I wouldn't want him leaving for a chunk of time. I find this really interesting because truthfully in myself, uh, clearly Natalie Rosa said she's happy, everything's fine, it's unconventional, yes, but this is what they're both comfortable with. I personally just would not be comfortable with an arrangement like this. And in my head, it would be like, well, am I a distraction? Like, is my romantic relationship a distraction from my partner getting a higher education or maybe leaning into a hobby that they have? And if it was framed that way, I would personally be offended. Yeah, it's interesting. I... I think I would struggle similarly in that if I was getting married to someone and we were starting, you know, starting our lives together, even though you've likely been with them for a while. Formalising the next chapter. Yeah, I, I would struggle with it, but I would hope it would depend on what my partner turned around and asked for, right? I would hope that if there was something that was really important to them that was going to further their career and they have real ambition with what it is they wanted to chase, I'd hope I'd be able to stand back and say, yes, I can let you do this, but I would love to know how our listeners feel about it because I can think logically in one hand to say, I really hope I'd respond like that. But in my heart, I know I'd find it really difficult. Mm, I think I'd be able to do long distance, but I'd need to visit. Oh, I think yeah. the idea of I'm not visiting, I'm I, letting him have his space and his time because I'm a distraction. I think it's the visit thing that's for a, me. That's a good point. I want to know if any of our listeners have done this. Like, have you done it? How have you done it? And slash, could you do it? Annabelle, could you do it? Mm, I don't think so. Yeah. I wonder what the conversation before him leaving was. Like, yeah. if she vocalised, like, oh, this makes me a little uncomfortable or I'm going to miss you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. The, the, what I did think was a really good point and a really interesting point is her being like, well, I'd rather him do this before we have kids. Like, mm. for a lot of people, there are a lot of things they need to do before they have kids. Mm. And in the same way we just spoke about Giselle and Tom Brady, 
there are some real non-negotiables, yeah. I think, when you're having a family together and it's presence. So yeah. that's a good point. For sure. Our fourth story. Kylie Jenner and Travis Scott explain why they still haven't shared Wolf's real name. That is from Elle magazine. Guys, on Thursday night, Kylie Jenner made an appearance on The Late Late Show with James Corden. Chris Jenner appeared alongside her. They are currently doing the publicity rounds for another joint makeup collection that they're releasing under Kylie Cosmetics. Yeah. Now, in the interview, Kylie was actually asked asked by James Corden whether she was ready to share her baby son's name. Now, after all, we know that Kylie and Travis Scott had a baby seven months ago. At the time, it was announced that they had called their second child Wolf. Then they kind of took it back and they said, we've been seeing this name around. (laughs) Sorry, I know we rehash this quote all the time. Why is everyone calling him Wolf? Yeah, we're just seeing it and we need to correct the record. (laughs) Now, she explained that they just didn't feel like that name was him. Now, when asked by James Corden, so what's the baby called now? I'm going to insert a snippet here and it might be a little bit longer, but I just need you to listen to all of it. <laughs> so you call him Wolf? No, we don't call him Wolf. So what do you call him? You know. Well, that's not a good name. You can't call him, you know. You We're know? just not ready to share yet. Oh, Once... so you have got a name. You're just not going to tell us the name. Well... You know, Travis does, he likes to sometimes, like, one day he'll be like, ooh, this name's kind of cool, and, like, change it again. Right. So we're just not officially probably going to change it until maybe... He's 21. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, no, I, well, I understand yeah. the notion of not wanting to share it publicly. Yeah. But I, I do think you should probably zone in on one. We, we have. Is it still an animal? No. Okay. <laughs> there's, there's a huge exclusive. What's going on here? I have a theory here, but I think it's a, when you really think about it, you're like, that's a pretty obvious theory that a lot of people would reach. So we all know that Travis Scott's brand is very much around Astroworld. It's his biggest album ever. He had the Astroworld tour. We know that he also used Astroworld branding for Stormy's birthdays in the very early days. We also know the huge controversy and the huge tragedy Tragedy, that happened at Astroworld last year where 10 people lost their lives due to a crowd crush. Now, I am convinced and a lot of people online are convinced the child's name, the son's name is Astro. I think that goes very well with the name Stormy. It all has to do with, I don't know, the sky. Yeah. (laughs) Space. Uh, Yes. Yes. The sky and space, they kind of work together. Stormy and Astro work together. They don't want to tell the world that the name is Astro because they know that that will cause a real uprising of upset and hurt and outrage. I think a lot of people will be really offended if this name is Astro and I wholeheartedly believe it is. Otherwise, why are you keeping it from us for seven months? They are going to wait as long as they possibly can. But what changes? Because I, I, when you said this to me, I was like, yeah, I see, I see that. But then I genuinely thought who would do that like after everything that happened at Astro World in what world are you doing that like I actually feel lost for words as to how somebody could make that decision I believe massive egos would do that I truly believe can you and but then I also think what's going to change with time are you serious everything changes with time no I don't think so at some point if they have to announce this there will be outrage there will be outrage I don't think time changes anything if you're them and the baby's name is Astro keep it wolf publicly and just call him Astro at home. Like, that's a really easy, simple solution to me. Why do you have to, if it is Astro, I just think the publicity around this would be so horrific and horrendous that I cannot imagine them 
doing it. I don't agree with you that nothing changes with time. I think things get diluted with time. Yes, people will be upset. People will not be upset today as they would have been back in February. People will not be as upset next March as they would be today. Like things change with time. They don't change completely. I'm not saying there'll be no upset. The degree to which people will be upset changes. But I'm like, surely they can't wait five to 10 years for that because that's when I think it would be diluted Mm. enough for it to not be nearly as offensive, even though for me it's still as offensive. Well, maybe oh, this could be completely wrong. Yeah. This theory could but be completely wrong, but to not announce a baby name it's for weird. seven months, it's so strange. No, I, I totally agree with you. And when you said that to me, I was like, I guess this is kind of the only thing that makes sense. I do yeah. agree with that. But then I also think I can't imagine anyone. I find it pretty horrible, to be honest. What a slap in the face to everybody that was at that festival. Look at me getting preemptively angry. I was going to say about something that hasn't happened yet. But it it would make me really mad if they did this. What are the other options? Maybe the other option is, Kylie said in this interview that Travis is a very creative person. We know a lot of musicians can be quite artistic with the ways that they name their children. Maybe he simply hasn't decided. Maybe he is getting home and every second day he's changing the name. But then to that I would say, Check your fucking ego. Sorry. The it's poor baby will get confused. Kids, kids definitely. My niece is seven months and she definitely responds to her name at this point. If this kid genuinely doesn't have a name at seven months and they're changing it constantly, massive, massive ego is going on again. So both ways I kind of have a very much raised eyebrow about the whole thing. Yeah, let's watch this face. Our fifth story. Ah, Gigi Hadid and Leonardo DiCaprio dating. That is from Seventeen Magazine. Goodness me, this summer rumours have been absolutely rampant and truthfully they were rampant before he'd broken up with Camilla Marone that Leonardo DiCaprio has been hooking up with Gigi Hadid. Demois tips have been coming in thick and fast that the two have been sort of casually dating, that it's not serious but Mama Gigi's getting back on the horse. Mama (laughs) Gigi, she is just like in her element, by the way. She does look like she's really in her element. I mean, I feel like such an idiot saying, she's glowing, she looks so happy. <laughs> but she does. She looks great, yeah. We actually never got around to speaking about this on the show a couple of weeks ago because sometimes with the news cycle, things fall at the wrong time. Some things fall on a Thursday and then we don't get to it the week after and by that point it's old news. One such story was the breakup between Leo and Camilla Marone, his girlfriend of four years. Now, that all happened and by the point the episode came around, we were like, everyone's already spoken about this. We have nothing new to add. It was a bit boring by that point. It was a bit boring. But if you missed it, essentially, again, Leonardo DiCaprio proved that he seems to be incapable of dating women over the age of 25. Every single relationship he's ever had, of which there have been eight, have ended before his partner's 26th birthday. Camilla turned 25 just a couple of months before their breakup. Leo is, of course, 47. He loves an age gap relationship. However, the Gigi Hadid headlines might prove the 25-year-old theory wrong. Yeah, still proves that he loves an age gap, though. (laughs) (laughs) Gigi's 27, which is great. No, it doesn't sound like from the reports that this is going to be anything serious. I mean... There were multiple sightings of them this week making out at New York Fashion Week. They kind of suit the casual hookup thing. I don't know how I'd feel about them properly dating, but I love the fact they're casually hooking up. I agree with you. Yes. I really truly feel like Gigi could do better for like a long-term partner, but as like sleeping with Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm like, I don't begrudge her for that. Go for it. Now, there is something that I need to acknowledge on the record here. Last week we spoke (laughs) about the fact that Kendall Jenner – 
went to the weekend's concert with his new girlfriend, Simi Kadra, who used to be friends with Bella Hadid. And Bella Hadid, of course, used to date the weekend. And I said, I don't think Kendall Jenner and Bella Hadid are friends anymore. Well, they fucked me over, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> they had a little hug at New York Fashion Week. I think they set it up. But whatever. All is well in the world. They're clearly still on good terms. I still love an unconfirmed rumour, though. I love that last week we're like, this is a podcast of fact. <laughs> only talk in fact. Oh, that was not a fact. That was feeling. That was, <laughs> that was us running with our gut feeling, which could not have been more wrong. But look at us now. Fact checked. <laughs> Check, mate. Check, mate. Our sixth story. Could Taylor Swift win an Oscar for All Too Well? That is from Vogue. Yeah, you brought my attention to this story this week and I'm very glad you did. Now, Taylor screened her short film for the 10-minute version of All Too Well over the weekend at the Toronto Film Festival and... Zara, you seem to have this all over your TikTok feed. Yes. Did you guys not have Taylor Swift at Toronto all over your feed? I did. No. I had TikTok video after TikTok video showing her appearance there, both, you know, walking the street. She was, there was a Q&A as well. And I couldn't for the life of me work out why she was re-screening something in Toronto with no disrespect to Toronto. I've not been, but it's quite random. This film festival, months after it was released, I was so confused. Mm. As we know, Taylor Swift only picks publicity when she really wants to do publicity. Otherwise, she's very much holed up at behind closed doors. Then it all started to make sense to me because the headlines started coming out that Taylor Swift is angling for an Oscar for the short film. You're probably wondering, well, how does this qualify for an Oscar? Well, all too well, the short film, keep in mind, they were very careful to never call it a music (laughs) video. It was always a short film. Screened in a New York theatre for one week last November, which kind of fits neatly into the eligibility category for best live action short at the Oscars. She also screened the film at Tribeca in June. So she's kind of slowly ticking off this stuff to get it eligible for the Oscars. Now, I found it quite funny because Vox wrote this piece about how likely it is that she could win this Oscar, writing like a pretty wonderful neg about the whole thing. Increasingly, the live action and animated short film categories are ways for famous people to win Oscars in far less competitive categories. Oh my God. I'm like, an Oscar's an Oscar. I don't mind. Now, (laughs) it's pretty good. Now, according to Vox as well, she didn't screen all too well at Tribeca and Toronto just for eligibility, more so to keep the film in the public eye, keep people talking about what she made, kind Mm. of establish, re-establish her credibility as a director. But I kind of read all this and I thought, yeah. She'll probably win, won't she? She's famous enough and will have enough publicity around this that she probably will win. I love that we're saying this because I would have zilch idea as to the other short films in the category. I have no idea. I'm just saying that. (laughs) It does check out that she would win this and then that means if she gets this Oscar – She'll probably then angle for a Tony Award next because she probably wants to join the elusive group of performers in the EGOT category. We've spoken about the elusive EGOT this year, of course. It refers to the select group of people, only 17 in the world, who have won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar and a Tony Award. Two such names that you might find familiar because when I went through the list, there were a lot that I didn't actually <laughs> recognise, are Jennifer Hudson and John Legend. And Whoopi Goldberg, remember? Yes. Now, I think she's absolutely angling for this Oscar to angle for an EGOT. As we know, Taylor Swift plans things out very far in advance. I think she's probably been thinking about this for a long time. That's why she made 
the film is probably why she wanted to release the 10-minute version of All Too Well. And I am going to be very intrigued. Taylor Swift doesn't lose. Taylor Swift is a type A girl. She doesn't lose. (laughs) She would think it'd be horrendous for branding to turn up at the Oscars and lose, I feel. Mm. So... (laughs) <laughs> I am very, very interested. So an oracle prediction. We haven't had one in a while. Taylor's going to win the Oscar. Yeah, Taylor will win the Oscar. Interesting. You heard it here first. <laughs> Sorry for the spoiler. <laughs> Our seventh story, a very, very quick one. A-list celebrities flock to Beyonce's belated 41st birthday party. That is from TMZ. I just care heaps about who got an invite and who didn't to Beyonce's disco-themed 41st birthday. She celebrated at a Bel Air mansion with her husband Jay-Z and a slew of other celebrities. Annabelle Lee, I'm going to give you a bit oh, of a no. quiz. I haven't read this either so you can quiz me all right i'll quiz you both i want to know i'm going to read you a list of celebrity names and boy oh boy are they good names who didn't get an invite to beyonce's 41st birthday party your options are brooklyn beckham kim kardashian adele zendaya drake bella hadid tristan thompson lizzo michael b jordan hmm i know zendaya and lizzo i'm pretty sure they were there tristan thompson was definitely there if Brooklyn Beckham no, was there, I'm just trying to picture Brooklyn and Beyonce having a conversation. It's Bella Hadid or Brooklyn Beckham, I think, because Bella Hadid's neatly placed right in the middle. And does Bella Hadid even know Beyonce? I'm looking at Michelle's face. <laughs> I am locking in Bella Hadid. I'm just going to go Brooklyn to be different. Annabelle, you're right. Yes! I never win these things. I was looking at our episode and I said, you know what it's missing? A little it, sprinkling of Brooklyn oh, Beckham. I should have known better. Did you see Brooklyn and Nicola walk the runway for that Vogue World catwalk. Oh, we're doing this again. Yes. Sorry. There's nothing else to say beyond they looked pretty awkward. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I do have one little aside. Sorry, I know this ep's getting a bit long. There was a lot of reporting on Demois, and I know Demois is not the (laughs) purveyor of all things good and true, that Tristan Thompson and Khloe Kardashian went to Beyonce's party together and were looking cosy. Oh, yes. That's what I read this morning when I woke up. Every cell in my body just deflated. But unconfirmed rumours. That actually makes me sad, though. I know. You can't just move on from that. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. That can't be, that cannot be true. So you're doing what I did about Astro. (laughs) You threw me a hypothetical and I got mad. I'm actually clutching. I Clutching her her pearls or her gold (laughs) necklace. If that is true... That has ruined my year. Well, Your we don't year. know. That was mayo. <laughs> You're getting married that this year. Mayo. <laughs> Our eighth and final story. <laughs> Anna de Armas cries as Blonde receives 14-minute standing ovation in Venice. That is from CNN. Yeah, now the new Marilyn Monroe biopic, Blonde, which, as you said, Zara, stars Anna de Armas and Adrian Brody, actually, premiered at Venice Film Festival last week. The film comes out at the end of this month. And let me tell you, out of all the films that are premiering at Venice, this is the one. Blonde is the one that I absolutely want to see the most. Yeah, I'm incredibly intrigued about it. I mean, Anna de Armas has been pretty widely celebrated for her role as Marilyn Monroe. Now, as I mentioned in the headline, the film was celebrated with a 14-minute standing ovation where Anna de Armas was seen, you know, visibly getting emotional at how the audience had received the film and her performance. Now, it kind of sparked an interesting combo <laughs> for us about these bloody standing ovations at film festivals because they are a pretty surefire, if a little wanky, way to get a sense of how a movie's been received in comparison to other movies at that festival. 
For example, at Venice this month, Brendan Fraser's The Whale received a six-minute standing ovation. Don't worry, darling. Got a pretty measly four-minute. <laughs> Adam Driver's White Noise got an unremarkable two and a half. No. But this is what shocked me, right? When I read the headline about the 14 minutes for Blonde, I was shocked because when I originally read four minutes for Don't Worry, Darling, I was like, oh, wow, people adored it. If people are standing up and clapping for four minutes, that's huge. In reality, that's mediocre. Oh, yes. And this is almost a metric system that I just had never come across before. I actually found lists that rank films based on how many minutes they got at film festivals of people standing up and applauding. There are so many lists that rank the films premiered at Cannes Film Festival. The record, for anyone curious, is a stupidly obscene 22 <laughs> minutes. 22 <laughs> minutes! Like a whole episode of Friends. <laughs> Your, Your hands get tired. Your hands Your hands would get yeah. so red. That's what I kept thinking, like... There was a really, really funny article in Jezebel this week where one of the writers made her team stand up and do a 14-minute standing ovation to see what that would be like. They had photos of everyone's red hands. <laughs> Everyone got really bored and really tired. I don't understand this. Like, I have to be honest, who decides how long it goes for? Because is it like yes. the last person standing and therefore it's actually not that good of a metric because one person, you, you're like, is there an influence of outliers here? One person just doesn't sit down like a filibuster and just keeps bloody clapping. Like who decides when it's over? Who decides how long it's going for? Does everybody stand there and awkwardly look around at each other and say, when are we calling this? It's kind of like when you're singing happy birthday and someone has to know that they're the one who's Doing going to go, hip, 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 hip. I always do this. Do you? <laughs> yeah. So it would be Annabelle, the Annabelle's in the audience. Like I was singing happy birthday on the weekend to Ollie's niece. <laughs> and like neither of us, it was just two of us and neither of us decided. You guys. There, there was like a 15 second gap before I went no one talks about the awkward gap when no one does take charge. No, there's no awkward gap with me. I just go for it. So you, the kinds of people like Annabelle would be standing in the audience going, this is a four minute or this This is is a 14 14 minute. And and I'm just looking around being like, tell me what to do. I actually don't understand this. I'm like puzzled. Yeah. And it doesn't seem very precise either because in our research, Deadline reported the standing ovation for Blonde was 11 minutes, but almost every other media publication reported 14 minutes. Like how Does is someone that, get up with a stopwatch? There'd absolutely be a stopwatch, but three minutes is quite a discrepancy. <laughs> it's uh-huh. not like one minute, it's three minutes. The Maybe. whole Adam Driver movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so silly. I don't get it. If anyone has any knowledge on this, just let us know. Yeah. I am intrigued. But for now... Boy, oh boy, that is all we've got time for. That is all we've got time for, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shameless. Annabelle, you're not going to be on the next two episodes. Oh. You're going, you poor thing. You're, you're heading going to, Greece. to Greece. I'll be sad the whole time. Just for <laughs> you guys. <laughs> oh, we hope you have the best time. You've got to post a lot of photos. I shall. We're going to miss you. I'll miss you and guys. I'm- and you guys at home, I'll miss you too. <laughs> <laughs> to all the lovely listeners. <laughs> it's like- Richard Mercer's love song dedication. Do you remember him? Yeah. Anyway, have the best, best holiday, and we will see you back here in three weeks. Thanks, fam. Love yeah. you all. Do you have anything to add for the next Come two on, weeks? Come on, leave the listeners um, with a little message. Give us something. A happy birthday. <laughs> no, a hip hip hooray for a all. Hip hooray. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.